0: All right, let's, uh, let's pray before we go to God's word one more time. Father, we thank you for your word by which you have revealed yourself. We thank you for Christ that we can, that, that a person walked this earth who was you. You, you walked our streets, God, and showed us what you are like. Help us to recognize Christ as we study your word this evening, Um, and we pray that your spirit would help us as we do this, and we ask this in Christ's holy name. Amen. So yesterday... um, Meredith and I took the kids to the Gatsby Parade. There were a few other folks uh, from the church that we saw there. It's a big thing in Rhode Island, starts in Warwick, goes up to Cranston. And this was a pretty big year for the Gatsby Parade. It was the semi um anniversary of the Gatsby, so 250 years ago. The Gatsby was a a British ship that was attacked. It it ran aground uh, trying to chase a a merchant ship. It was attacked by colonists and burned to the waterline. One of the early, uh, very early violent acts of the American Revolution. But as you study the story of the Gatsby, the way that that story starts out is a shot across the bow, a warning shot that the Gatsby launched at this merchant ship, telling it to stop, that we're going to board you and inspect you. So a shot across the bow is a harmless act by some authority to warn a subject of a more severe action to come if they don't stop and submit to that authority that that gives a warning shot. And while this warning shot didn't end up working out so well for the Gatsby, when a shot across the bow comes from the almighty God of the universe, we had better pay attention. And our passage tonight is just that, a warning warning shot uh, to God's people uh, to, to get their attention. Tonight we'll be looking at Luke 12. If you want to look in your Bible, it's page 925. Um, And we'll be looking at the end of that chapter. Just to give a little bit of context, uh, this is part of a large sermon that uh, Christ gives. This is after the transfiguration. um, While he's traveling around before he ends up in Jerusalem, Uh, he's just spent dinner with a, a group of religious leaders and has said some things that have offended them. And uh, now there's a very large crowd outside uh, where, where Jesus is preaching. In the midst of, and in the midst of that crowd, we can infer these religious leaders are there listening and uh, trying to find something that they can use to, to trap Jesus and catch him. And uh, that's where we pick up this this large crowd of thousands he's speaking to. But at the beginning of our passage, at verse 49, where we'll be starting, Jesus is specifically addressing the disciples. Um, And so we'll start at verse 49 here in Luke 12. I came to bring fire on the earth, and how I wish it were already set ablaze. But... I have a baptism to undergo and how it consumes me until it is finished. Do you think that I came here to bring peace on the earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. From now on, five in one household will be divided, three against two and two against three. They will will be divided father against son, son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. He also said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, right away you say, a storm is coming. And so it does. And when the south wind is blowing, you say, it's going to be hot. And it is. And then the verse we'll focus in on tonight specifically. Hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky. But why don't you know how to interpret this present time? Why don't you judge for yourselves what is right? As you are going with your adversary to the ruler, make an effort to settle with him on the way. Then he won't drag you before the judge. The judge hand you over to the bailiff, and the bailiff throw you into prison. I tell you, you will never get out of there until you have paid the last cent. The main point of this passage tonight, and specifically the the verse that we're looking at, is to acknowledge Christ as the Messiah. That is acknowledge Christ as the Messiah. And we'll study that that main point in in two, or that, that main idea in two points. First is to be careful what you put your faith in. Be careful what you put your faith in. And second is salvation starts with acknowledging Christ. So the first point, be careful what you put your faith in. The two verses preceding this verse that we're looking at, uh, 54 and 55, Jesus uh, uses some examples of predicting the weather. So he's not talking about specifically the weather. It's mean, one aspect of this, but there's there's a broader point here, and, and that's that that uh, there are things that, that these people recognize, and, and that they're sort of putting putting their you know, hope and that they have settled that, that gives them security but blinds them to, to the truth of who he is. And so it, it raises a question for us um, as people now, what are things that we may wrongly put our faith in in this world? And one of the things that goes along with what Jesus put out, puts out here is this idea of consistency of how the world operates, day in and day out, and day in and day out. Kevin talked about this a little bit uh, this this morning as well, but you know, we, we have the sun rises, the sun sets every day, and we just sort of implicitly can assume one that this is how it's always been. It's easy to forget about significant events in the past when we sort of have this focus of the, the daily cadence that we experience. And it's been a long time, two thousand years since Christ's crucifixion and resurrection. That's a long time ago, eight times longer ago than the Gatsby sunk out in the bay. But two millennia can pass from now, and it doesn't change the truth of the Gatsby affair compared to where we know it today. And just in the same way, the fact that two millennia has passed doesn't change the truth about the historical fact of the the crucifixion and the resurrection. And there's good reasons, I don't want to make this a sermon about apologetics, but there's good reasons to believe in the historicity of the crucifixion and resurrection beyond just what we see in the Bible. Uh, our brother Chet Bettis has a lot of good resources on this. Uh, there's going to be great books in the back on apologetics. And uh, in, in when you really critically study that, those are historical facts. And just because it was a long time ago, doesn't mean that those facts are less relevant to our lives today. There is nothing in history, no event in history that is more important to each of us than the fact that Jesus was crucified on the cross and then walked out of his tomb. And just as we can sort of take for granted things of the distant past, the fact that days keep coming and going can make us take the future for granted as well. There's a major theme here throughout this sermon in chapter 12 of um, being prepared for the day of judgment rather than being preoccupied with the world right around us now. Um, And you look back, uh, well, one of two things, we can say for certain that one of two things are going to happen. The first is that Christ is going to return in judgment. And when we look back at verse 40, Christ talks about the Son of Man coming uh, at an hour that you do not expect. So we shouldn't just take for granted that that's not going to happen. And at the same time, verse 49 in our passage that we read alludes to the fact that when he comes back, he's coming back in judgment with fire. And if the Lord tarries, as he has graciously for millennia, then we'll die. A lot of you are at a funeral today. Um, our next our next hour is not guaranteed, and we don't like to think about our own death, but it's coming. And you know, having until fairly recently been a young person myself, I know from experience that um, it's easy to just kind of live functionally assuming I've got more time. I don't have to worry about that because... I've got more days. But look in Psalm 90.12. It says, Teach us to number our days carefully so that we may develop wisdom in our hearts. God tells us that living mindful of the fact that we're going to die helps us to live with wisdom. So either way, whether Christ returns or we die, we are on our way to the judge and we don't know when. This is another reason tonight, when we take the Lord's Supper, we do this weekly, so that we keep a short account with the Lord, not assuming that we can just deal with our sin at some point in the future. We need to take care of that now. Another way that we can sort of um, place our faith wrongly and and functionally act denying uh, who Christ is, is based on our better understanding, our, our, our good understanding of the world around us. And, and I think a lot of the way that, that this manifests itself in, in the current day and age is through technology, uh, technological advance and social progress. All these things that, that we see in terms of this sort of make us functionally think that we're masters of our world. Our weather forecasting, is an example, to take this example from the scripture, is a lot better today than it was in Christ's day and age. Medicine and technology have advanced in a way that's caused our life expectancies to be much longer and has addressed a lot of difficult problems in the world. And all of these advancements can foster a sense of being in control. But the fact is that none of them are able to truly redeem the world. We can't do away with death, we can't do away with sin. And ultimately, a lot of the inventions and advancements that we make bring their own sets of problems with them. And specifically, brother and sister, for us as Christians, what are ways that we can wrongly place our faith? One of the ways that I think uh, we do this is in having knowledge of the Bible that's detached from faithful living. So, you look at this... uh, verse 54 he says uh, when you see a cloud rising in the west right away you say a storm is coming and so it does a lot of the scribes sitting in that audience that were listening to jesus speak would have immediately recognized that as a reference to elijah's servant seeing the cloud in the west coming right after elijah had defeated the prophets of baal at mount carmel they would have caught that reference but the fact of the matter is the scribes didn't recognize Jesus. That fact that they knew their Bible, they knew the prophets in, in the, the text of the prophets, didn't help them to recognize Christ standing right before them, preaching to them. So God's word is necessary for salvation. But just knowing it alone isn't sufficient. In absent a saving faith, it can lead to pride and blindness. Another way that, as Christians, I think we can create false objects of faith for ourselves is based on our positions on secondary doctrines or some sort of non-gospel distinctive matter. Um, So, if you have faith in Christ, if you're following Christ... That faith produces obedience, which leads us to live differently in the world. Those distinctives, if you have faith in Christ, are going to be there. But they are the product of faith. They can never become the object or basis for our faith. So we should never say, I'm a Christian because I do this. I'm a Christian or I'm better than them because I don't do that. Um, These are not the basis for our faith, but the product of it. And the other, there's a warning here, uh, I think, when you look back at verse 53 and what what Christ is talking about there and a house divided and, you know, thinking in terms of this is in in Micah talking about Israel being divided against itself. Anytime that we make our faith community, our church, about something other than Christ in the gospel, we are setting it up to be divided. We're... We're preparing it to be divided. The center of our salvation is Jesus. And so that brings us to our second brief point tonight. Salvation starts with acknowledging Christ. Why don't you know how to interpret this present time? So interpreting the present time means acknowledging that Jesus is the Messiah. This crowd that Jesus is speaking to Has God incarnate talking to them, and many of them can't see it. Time and again in Luke, you see people who encounter Jesus Christ, and either they encounter him in faith and in recognition of who he is as the Messiah, or they reject him. And those who reject him are hypocrites because they have all the information that they need to rightly understand who Jesus is, but they refuse still demanding signs from heaven, and we read in uh, the Matthew account of this verse, specifically the the Pharisees and Sadducees are demanding a sign. Christ points out earlier in this uh, in the previous in, in the chapter preceding this that um, without signs, the people of Nineveh who We were talking about tonight, uh, or earlier this morning, and have been studying in Nahum. Um, When Jonah came to them, without the need of miraculous signs from heaven, they heard Jonah's message, and they accepted it and repented, at least for a time. And Jesus is the greater Jonah. He says, look, something greater than Jonah is here in Luke 11.32. Jonah got angry at God for not bringing fire down on Nineveh. We see in twelve forty nine through fifty here in our passage that Jesus is bringing fire. His purpose, in, his ultimate purpose in the second coming, is to bring fire down on the earth. But in mercy and in grace, first he takes the baptism of God's wrath on himself. So because we are. In sin. Because of our sin, we have made ourselves into God's adversary, every single one of us. And we are all on our way to the judge, as we read in verses 57 through 59. So we need to judge rightly that Jesus is the Messiah. We need to turn to Him in faith and follow Him. And he will settle with us on the basis of his baptism in God's wrath on the cross and his triumph over death in the resurrection. He has paid what we owe. And so on the day of God's judgment, rather than being handed over to the bailiff and thrown into prison, praise God, we will stand as co-heirs with Christ. Pray with me, please. Jesus, we praise you that you are the Messiah. You are the fulfillment of the law, the words of the prophets. You have done what we cannot do on the cross, dear God. You paid for our sin. And out of the grave, you triumphed over death, dear God. And so we praise you. And we pray for your Spirit's help to give us eyes to see you and to follow you and to do that faithfully and to persevere in that faith. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.